the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoings? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch, and he utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days, and that would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping, the swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advanced, advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people go on, guilty people, whose own strength is their God. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than them, themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying, emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the rampant. I will look to see that what, what he will say to me, and what answer I am to give to his complaint, to this complaint. The Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest, because he is as greedy as the grave, and like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and, the, and take, takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion? How long must this go on? Will not your creators suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then, then you will become their prey. 
Because you have plundered many nations, the people who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in the team, everyone in them. Habakkuk uh, chapter 3, verse 16 to 19 now, on page 1344. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. Let me start by praying. Father, we do ask that you would speak to us through your word. And as we hear what can be difficult and challenging words, we ask that you would give us open hearts and minds to hear what it is that you are saying, saying to us this morning, that we would leave this place more like your son, Jesus. In his name. Amen. Let me start by telling you about a young boy called Obi. Obi is not his real name, but that's what I'll call him this morning. My wife Tab and our boys and I met Obi in our years living in East Asia. He's a boy dear to our hearts. Obi has been living in an orphanage since he was two days old. He's now 12 and a half years old. And we've been able to have Obi over to our apartment in East Asia a few times over the years. Obi is smart, he is vibrant, his favourite thing is to practice English and to play games. He loves tickles and hugs. He also has cerebral palsy, which means he has some paralysis in his hands, uh, in his arms and in his legs, which is why he ended up in an orphanage. It's an awful injustice, isn't it, that Obi, along with somewhere between 600,000 and 1 million other children in that nation, are in orphanages because they have a disability. It's unjust, isn't it? Before Tab and her team started their work at the orphanage, the section of the orphanage that Obi lived in had a ratio of 20 children with severe disabilities to one or two carers at any time. The children were often tied to beds to stop them getting into things or running away. There was no therapy, there was little hygiene, there was no activities, and there was certainly no love. Just children, multiple children, lying on plastic, lying on concrete floors. The smell was awful. It was an awful injustice. With God's help, though, Tab and her team transformed Obi's care along with 54 other children. One carer to three children, trained carers who grew to love the children, better food, better clothes, fun activities, and Obi and others came to know and love and trust Jesus. So much better. 
but they were still living in an orphanage. Ovi is still in an orphanage. And awful things happen there, things beyond the control of the carers. For example, Obi was given an operation on his leg, an operation that we know wasn't suitable for him. It won't help his mobility. In fact, it's likely to limit his mobility in his later life. But he was given that operation because someone needed to meet their quota so that they could get their full annual amount, their full amount of money for the year. It's unjust, isn't it? What Obi wants more than anything is to be adopted by a loving family. And, praise God, through the work of the team over there, a Christian family from the US chose to adopt him. He was going to his forever home. But then COVID struck. So he has spent two more years waiting in the orphanage because his new family have been refused a visa time and time again. All this at a time when high-powered business executives in a major money-making industry for that city can be granted visas to allow them to come and go as they wish. But Obi is still there at the orphanage, waiting for his family who can't get him. How long, O Lord? It's not just. It's not right. But we know this kind of injustice is not unusual in our world. And so we turn to God and we say, why do you tolerate this injustice? How long are you going to let it go on? And we're obviously not the first people to ask that question. It's a very old question. The prophet Habakkuk asked God that question back in about 605 BC. How long, O Lord, Habakkuk cries out in chapter 1, verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? And the particular issues on Habakkuk's mind at this point are not the mistreatment of weak and vulnerable people in other nations. Habakkuk gets to that later. But Habakkuk here is concerned about sin and injustice by his own nation, by his own people in Judah. And as we look at our own society, we can sometimes be overwhelmed with grief at some of the injustices around us as well. This NADOC week gone by, as we've been reminded of the depth and richness of First Nations cultures, we might have been struck afresh by the injustices inflicted on First Nations people in our history. The massacres, the children taken away from their families, the losing of land and livelihoods. And then we might have reflected on the ongoing consequences of all of that on First Nations people today as they continue to face injustice in many forms in our society. Like Habakkuk, we cry out to God, how long, O Lord, are you going to let this injustice go on? And it's a question that we oughtn't be afraid to ask God. The mere fact that, it is here in quest- that this question is here in Scripture means that it's a question that God invites us to ask of him. And God has an answer for it. God had an answer for Habakkuk, and he has one for us too. Be warned, though, you might not like the answer.
you might not find God's answer satisfactory. Not at first, anyway. Verse 5. God tells Habakkuk his answer. He says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. God knows the injustice of the people of Judah. He's not indifferent to it. It angers him because he is loving. It angers him because he is holy. He will not abide it forever. He will act and he is going to use the mighty, the ruthless, the impetuous kingdom of Babylon to do it, to overthrow Judah. And that's precisely what God did 20 years later when Babylon swept into Jerusalem and destroyed Judah in 587 BC. And Habakkuk says, um, uh, Now, God, could we just think this through? Maybe we could workshop the plan. Because uh, I'm not sure, I'm just not sure, maybe you haven't, maybe you haven't met the Babylonians. Because of God, but of course, God knew precisely what kind of people the Babylonians were. God describes them in verses 5 and 6 as ruthless, impetuous, seizing dwellings that aren't their own, fiercer than wolves, like a swooping vulture devouring its prey, bent on violence, guilty men whose own strength is their God. Uh, and summed up in verse 7, they are a feared and dreadful people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honour, says God. And in verses 14 to 17, Habakkuk describes them as like a wicked, greedy fisherman, fishing for the nations, gathering nations up in a dragnet, eating fish after fish, consuming the resources of nation after nation so that they can live in luxury and enjoy the choicest food, and all the while not worshipping God, but worshipping their own fishing net, their own efforts. They are greedy, they are powerful, they are arrogant. This is the nation that God is going to use to deal with injustice in Judah? Really? It's a bit like an Australian crying out to God about the injustices committed against First Nations people and about all of the other injustices in our society and asking God, why isn't he doing anything about it? And God replying and saying, I do care about the injustices in Australian society. I am going to do something about it. I am raising up... And in 20 years, they are going to come down here with the might of their army and their navy and their air force and they are going to wipe you guys out. That's how I'm going to deal with injustice in Australia. Um, uh, that's, not, that's not quite what I had in mind, Lord. I'm not sure that that's a satisfactory solution, Lord. Yes, absolutely, injustice in Australia needs to be dealt with, uh, but is that the appropriate nation to bring justice? Habakkuk asks the same question of God about Babylon. Verse 12. Uh, oh Lord, you have appointed them, the Babylonians, to execute judgment. Oh Rock, you have ordained them to punish Judah. So Habakkuk appeals to God's holiness. Surely this can't be a just outcome. Verse 13. Your eyes, Lord, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? 
Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? In other words, yes, Lord, Judah does deserve to be punished for their sin and injustice. But Babylon's sin makes Judah look righteous. How can justice be served by allowing an even more unjust nation, a nation that doesn't even worship you, Lord, a nation that worships themselves and their own power? How can you let them get away with devouring and exploiting yet another nation? And in chapter 2, verse 2, we're told that the Lord replied to this second question. He says he does indeed know of Babylon's sinfulness. He knows they're puffed up, not upright, that they're arrogant, and he says he is indeed going to do something about their injustice. Five times in chapter 2, God says, Woe to the people of Babylon because of their injustices. The first woe that we had read to us just before, in verse 6, God says, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. And that woe finishes off in verse 8 saying, Because you, Babylon, because you have plundered many nations, the people who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Because of Babylon's greed, sinfulness, murder, injustice, they themselves, like Judah, will eventually be destroyed. The plunderers will become the plundered. And this promise of justice for Babylon did indeed come to pass about 50 years later when the Persian Empire conquered Babylon in 539 BC. God says not only will judgment come on Judah, judgment will also fall on Babylon. And this is a much more satisfactory answer for Habakkuk. So much so that he breaks out into song or a psalm, actually. Chapter 3 of Habakkuk is a psalm intended to be sung in the temple of God into the future. And the first two-thirds of that song are full of imagery from uh, when God had worked to save Israel in the past. Imagery from when God saved Israel from slavery in Egypt, when he gave them his law to establish the relationship, and when he went before them in the initial conquest of the promised land. It sings of God's awesome power displayed in plagues, in pestilence, in torrents of water, in chariots, in horses, lightning rods, the earth shakes, the sun and the moon stand still. And it's summed up in verse 2 of chapter 3. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Renew them in our day. It's a song about how all of the mighty and fearful and awesome power of God that's been demonstrated in Israel's history is going to be brought to bear on the head of Babylon to bring justice to their injustice. And knowing that this kind of justice is coming enables Habakkuk 2, uh, from chapter 3, verse 16, it enables him to wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading Judah. It's satisfying for Habakkuk. But is it truly satisfying justice, though? Sure, Persia will eventually wipe out Babylon. That's great. But Persia was not a righteous beacon of a nation either. They worshipped the false god Ahura Mazda. And if you didn't swear allegiance to their god and to their king, then you were in serious trouble. One unjust nation wiping out another unjust nation, cycle after cycle of it, is that truly satisfying justice do you think not really 
Not completely, anyway. Any human justice is never enough. Human justice can't undo the consequences of the trauma faced by Obi. Human justice can't undo the consequences of the pain and loss felt by First Nations people. Human justice can't undo the consequences of the injustices we face in our own lives. Any injustice meted out by any human or any human institution is never going to be completely satisfactory because all of them are tainted by sin. That kind of justice is never fully restorative because it is implemented by sinful people. And you know what? That kind of justice is not satisfying for God either. But what happened to Judah and what happened to Babylon is a hint from God about how he is ultimately going to deal with all injustice. Because God has promised a day of judgment is coming when all of the unjust will face his wrath. When he personally will deal with all injustices and set things straight completely. 2 Peter chapter 3 for, uh, verse 7 for example says, By the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The same word, that's God's word that promised and delivered judgment and justice in the past. That same word promises that a day of judgment is coming for all of this world. So we are now a bit like Habakkuk, waiting. But we are waiting for true justice. Now, the promise that God's wrath is coming against all ungodliness and injustice is good. But it should also make us nervous. You see back in chapter 2, verse 4 of Habakkuk, God says, See, the enemy, that's Babylon, is puffed up. His desires are not upright. That's why they're going to face judgment. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. A righteous person is the opposite of an unjust person. A righteous person is a just person, someone who follows God's ways and acts justly. 1,400 years after Habakkuk, Jesus pushed his disciples to think about righteousness and justice even more deeply than Habakkuk did. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, for example, Jesus pushed his disciples and he pushes us to see more clearly the extent of sin and to see where sin and injustice truly lies. And Jesus' point was, sin and injustice isn't just out there, it is in here, in us, in our hearts, in all of us. It's true, if our society is built on the bloodshed of the innocent, then we do indeed bear some responsibility for that. It's true, if I buy a $2 t-shirt being made by children being exploited in a factory in India, then it's true, I do bear some responsibility for that. But Jesus pushes us to recognise that our sinfulness goes even deeper than that. Our tendency toward injustice doesn't just start at the checkout or in our nation's cultural history, it starts in our hearts. Our tendency too often is to want more than we need for ourselves. Our tendency too often is toward apathy at real injustice if it doesn't affect us directly. 
And none of us always puts the needs of others before our own desires. And that ought strike fear in our hearts because God makes it clear in Habakkuk and in 2 Peter and elsewhere that he hates injustice and he will judge all injustice. See, if we want justice, God says, I want justice too. I hate injustice more than you do. And one day when Jesus returns, I will judge all injustice in this world, even the injustice you commit in the quiet of your minds and your hearts. And no one will survive that kind of judgment from God on Judgment Day. Fortunately, though, when Jesus made clear the full extent of God's demand for righteousness and justice... He also made clear what kind of faithfulness it is that makes someone truly righteous. Writing after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Apostle Paul quoted Habakkuk, saying in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So Paul there has quoted Habakkuk. The righteous will live by faith. And then a bit later on in chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, the Apostle Paul says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So the faith which makes someone righteous is faith in Jesus. The faith that saves us from God's coming judgment on all injustice, including the injustice in our own hearts, is faith in Jesus. So if you're someone who's rightly horrified at some of the injustices in our world, in the church, and in your own lives, if you long to see justice, then maybe it's time to consider faith in Jesus. If you'd like to do that, then please let me invite you to scan the QR code on the leaflet and let us know that you're keen to investigate Jesus. And one of our pastors will be in touch with you this week to help you get to know Jesus and his claims a bit better. Because God's true justice is coming. For those of us who do have faith in Jesus... How should we respond in light of the injustice in the world and in our lives? And how should we respond to God's true justice? Well, as God's people, our lives ought to reflect the character of God. The book of Habakkuk makes clear that God hates injustice. So we will be a people leaning away from injustice and towards justice in every aspect of our lives. Being a people that lean towards justice means that we won't allow ourselves to become indifferent to issues of injustice. It can be really hard to work out how to respond to some of the injustices embedded in our culture because of our nation's history. It can be really hard to know how to respond when the economic systems that we operate in have themselves built in them some level of injustice. It can be hard to know how to respond to injustices on the other side of the world. And all of that, can, because it's all so difficult, it can grow in us almost an apathy 
toward injustice. It's all too hard. I can't do anything to change it anyway. But as God's people reflecting his character, we won't allow ourselves to be indifferent to injustice. But rather, we will be a people who are leaning toward justice. One good step to prevent our hardening of our hearts, hardening of our attitudes, is to listen to people who are enduring injustice, to be informed about injustice. For example, as Christians in Australia, whether we're here as citizens or whether we are just here for a few years benefiting from the education system that this nation has to offer, one issue that we can all be growing in is our understanding of the experiences of First Nations people. And a good resource in that regard is a series of videos, short videos, produced by Australians together. It's a series of videos where First Nations people tell their story. They tell the story of the history of their communities and its impact on their own lives even today. I've given you a reference for that resource. It's in your leaflet there. And I do recommend it to you to watch in the coming weeks. That's one way of leaning towards justice in our lives. Another way is to cry out to God in prayer about matters of injustice, just like Habakkuk did. Appealing to God on the basis of his holy character about justice. That's what we're to do. Nowhere in Habakkuk is is he rebuked for his passionate pleading to God to deal with injustices. Are there issues of injustice in your, that you're appealing to God about in your weekly prayer routine? If not, then choose one. But don't stop at one. Once you've got one in your routine, one matter of injustice that you're praying about regularly, don't stop at one. Move on to two. And then three, and so on. As God's people with lives that lean towards justice, then we'll be a people who learn about injustice and pray about injustice. We'll also be a people who make our major life decisions shaped by God's heart for justice. Maybe it'll have an impact on the next job that we choose to pursue. Perhaps if you're in IT, you might choose to look for a job in the prison system, improving access to information for victims of crime and reducing recidivism. If you're a dentist, say, You might choose to work long-term in regional Australia where access to good health care is limited for uh, marginalised people. Or you might even choose to follow our CMS missionary partner, Maggie Cruz. You might choose to follow her example. Maggie has been serving children in uh, in Africa and now in Cambodia. Well, she's been overseas doing that kind of work for more than 30 years. She's there in Cambodia now working to rescue and restore young girls from trafficking and exploitation in Cambodia. If you're open to responding to God's justice by making decisions that shape the whole of your life, then please come and talk to me. Let's start a conversation about what and where and how, and we might even connect you up with BCA, the Bush Church Aid Society, or CMS, the Church Missionary Society, to continue the conversation. As God's people, when we see injustice, 
it will be natural for us to want to get in there as Jesus' representative, to seek justice and to offer the hope of true justice and true righteousness in Jesus. And our lives will lean more and more in the direction of justice. We'll also be a people who respond to God's true justice with joy. In chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Habakkuk says that even though there will continue to be times of suffering and injustice that he will have to uh, patiently wait through, there will, he, he says there will be uh, hard times with failing crops, limited food, and no cattle in the stalls as, back, as a backup savings plan. Yet, Habakkuk says in verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. Even though we will be a people who lean toward injustice, who seek justice in our prayers and in our lives, we'll also be a people who knows that true justice will never be fully realised until Jesus returns. But knowing that our holy God will bring about true justice means that in Jesus we have even more reason than Habakkuk to wait patiently for that justice that God has promised. And we have even more reason than Habakkuk to have joy in God our Saviour. And like Habakkuk in verse 19, we can say, The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Now, a deer treading on the heights might seem like an odd image at first until we know the kind of animals that Habakkuk would have been familiar with. The Nubian ibex deer... Uh, it was actually a goat, can be found in the mountains, um, come up on the screen there, the Nubian ibex can be found in the mountains around Israel where Habakkuk lived, and they still live there today. Now these animals have remarkable cleft feet with rubbery pads that enables them to grip onto rock and to scale, to impo- and to scale impossibly steep near vertical rock faces, and they go on up to awe-inspiring heights. And by climbing to those heights, they can get the minerals they need to survive and they're kept safe from their predators. And God has promised what is impossible for us. He has promised a time when all injustice will be truly dealt with. And in Jesus, God has done what is impossible for us to do ourselves. He has made us righteous through faith in Jesus so that we will be saved from the judgment that comes on that judgment day when true justice arrives. Now, knowing God has done that will make us a people who are willing to step towards unjust situations, situations that are impossible for us to restore. But we'll do that knowing that God can do the, um, in, that God can do the impossible. We will seek justice and we will offer the hope and the joy of true righteousness and true justice in Jesus. For Habakkuk, the promises of God's coming judgment and the promise that the righteous will live by faith made Habakkuk feel like he had the feet of a Nubian ibex. Even in the midst of suffering and injustice he is seeing around him, he can nonetheless do the seemingly impossible and rise above it to have hope and to tread the heights of joy. Obi, in that orphanage, even in the midst of all of the injustice that Obi faces, 
he still finds joy in the promises of God and in his Lord Jesus. And listening to some of the First Nations people who trust in Jesus in those Australians Together videos I told you about, it's clear that some of them have a joy that miraculously uh, transcends the very real suffering and injustice that they're still enduring today while they wait for Jesus' return. And it's a joy on offer for anyone anguishing at all of the injustice in the world and in our lives. Let me pray. Father, we pray that by your spirit you would enable us to trust in you and in your true righteousness and in the justice that you offer in Jesus. And we pray that you would make us a people who seek justice and a people of joy. We pray this in your name. Amen.